ocean death with the morning. You'll come again in your glory. Before I start, I was just going to say something about the men's retreat. Uh, I know many of you are going, and you're going for the whole weekend. I will just be going for Saturday. So if there's someone here that would like to go for Saturday, um, perhaps we could join together and drive out together. So how many of you have ever read the writings of William Shakespeare? Okay, there's quite a few of you have. Um, Well, whether or not you have, you may be familiar with this famous quotation from Hamlet, Act 3 and Scene 1. To be or not to be, that is the question. Now, using Shakespeare's phraseology, I am proposing the following title for my message this morning. To fear or not to fear. That is the question. To fear or not to fear, I believe, is a logical question because it could seem to us that we are getting a mixed message from Scripture. There are many occasions, at least 60 times in the Old Testament, need to be... Uh, 60 times in the Old Testament and about 20 times in the New Testament where individuals are urged not to be afraid and where we may conclude that we are not to be fearful. Okay, this technology doesn't seem to want to work for me. Okay, can we go to the next one? All right. I would like us to consider a few of the many examples in the Old Testament. Genesis 15.1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. A similar word of encouragement was given to his son Isaac in Genesis 26 and 24. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Through the prophet Isaiah, God conveyed the following message of revelation and reassurance. Isaiah 44, 6 and 8. This is what the Lord says, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. 
Perhaps the most familiar examples of the encouragement not to be afraid are recorded in Luke's gospel during the events leading up to and accompanying the birth of Jesus. We've just come through the Christmas season, and uh, these instances are quite familiar. In Luke chapter 1, we read that when an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Later on in that same chapter, the angel Gabriel gave Mary a similar word of encouragement. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. In the second chapter of Luke's gospel, we have the account of the birth of Jesus and the appearance of an angel of the Lord announcing that birth to them. Their initial reaction to the angel's appearance was fear. Indeed, in the original language, it is literally, they feared a great fear. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Another example is the reassurance that Paul received while he was sharing the good news of Jesus in the city of Corinth. We read at Acts chapter 18 and verses 9 to 10, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And after receiving that word of encouragement, Paul was inspired to stay in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching the word of God to those who had responded to the gospel message. I share one more significant example from the first first chapter of the book of Revelation where John has this experience of an overwhelming vision of the Son of God. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. These are a few of the 60 times in the Old Testament and some 20 times in the New Testament where we find the encouragement not to be afraid. What we might find surprising is that there are considerably more times in the Old Testament and equally as many times in the New Testament where we encounter the counsel to fear, especially and specifically, to fear God. Now, in the course of my study and research for this talk, I came across the comment that whereas preachers frequently speak about loving God, very few will bring a message about fearing God. And I must confess that that somewhat is my experience as well.
So again, you may be surprised to discover how frequently this counsel is presented in the Bible, some 120 times in the Old Testament and some 20 times in the New, we encounter the counsel to fear God. I think I have 140 up there, so I kind of went through the Bible and it might not be quite that many. But in any case, there's a lot. And I would like to take the time to share a number of those examples just to impress on us and give us some idea of how prevalent this exhortation is throughout the pages of Scripture. First from the Old Testament. Leviticus 25.17 Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.13 Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Joshua 24.14 Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Psalm 33.8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Psalm 34.8 and 9, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, fear the Lord, you his saints, those who fear him lack nothing. Psalm 96, 3 and 4. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 111, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. And Psalm 147, 11. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Turning to Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 3.7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Jeremiah 5.22a, should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? And then turning to the New Testament, we have Jesus saying at Matthew 10.28, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. At Acts 9.31, we read that the church enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Paul shares the following testimony at 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. At Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul encourages the believers in the church in Philippi with these words, Therefore, my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. The Apostle Peter urges his readers at 1 Peter 2.17, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers Fear God, 
honor the king. And then we find the following words of praise and worship at Revelation 15, 3 and 4. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. So indeed, to fear or not to fear, that is the question. Burl and I have a daughter and family who live in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And consequently, we have made many, many visits, many trips to Niagara Falls. Uh, so many that I don't think it can really be regarded as a tourist destination for us anymore. However, having said that, I never get tired of visiting the actual falls. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Okay, a few of you. They're quite spectacular, aren't they? So there are several ways that you can view the falls. You can view them from the Skylon Tower, as uh, this picture indicates, during the day. Or you can view the tower at night, which we did just last November. What a gorgeous sight, and those lights just keep turning different colors. Um, and then you can view the falls from that tour boat that you see there in the Niagara River. Or something else that we did this last time we were there is go through this tunnel and view the falls from behind, which really isn't that spectacular. You just see a, see a wall of water coming down in front of you. Um, my favorite view of the falls is to stand right at the point where the water is cascading over the edge. I took this video, one of our visits. This gives you some idea of what it is to stand at right at that point that I'm talking about. I'm not afraid to be there. Indeed, I love to stand right at that point. However, I do have a fear of the falls. I'm very much afraid to swim in the Niagara River just upstream from the falls. This is not a fear that makes me want to get away from the falls. It's a healthy fear a fear of what would happen if I were to wade into the Niagara River upstream from the falls. That fear actually draws me to the majesty of the falls. It is a fear that appreciates the power and the awesome nature of those tons and tons of water cascading over that edge. Now, I recognize that as an illustration this scenario has its limitations. But might it not be a helpful picture of how we relate to God? For one thing, as impressive as the falls are, 
they don't even begin to compare with the glory and majesty of our God. We sang a lot of songs this morning that depict that glory and majesty of our God. And if we can acknowledge that fear may be a part of our experience when standing beside Niagara Falls, how much more might it be a part of our experience when standing in the presence of the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God who spoke this universe into existence? Indeed, as one of the Psalms we quoted declares, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the earth revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. For the child of God, for a person who is chosen to follow Jesus, an understanding of what it means to fear God does not produce a dread of God or a desire to run away from God, quite the opposite. It draws us to God. Just as we may have a healthy fear of Niagara Falls and at the same time be drawn to its power and beauty, so should we be drawn to the omnipotent, omnipotent omnipresent, omniscient majesty of our awesome God. So what does it mean to really fear God? What might it look like if we were to truly fear God? In consideration of that question, I would like to reflect on some selections of scripture which include both directives to fear and not to fear. Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Interesting statement. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. It would appear obvious that the fear of God represents not a dread of God that would drive us away from God, but rather a desire not to sin against God that would draw us to God. 1 Samuel 12, 18 to 25. Then Samuel called upon the Lord, And that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away from after useless idols, They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they're useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, 
Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Samuel says, do not be afraid. You have sinned. But that does not mean that you should turn away from the Lord. Rather, you are invited to turn to the Lord, to fear him and to serve him faithfully with all your heart, remembering what great things he has done for you. Isaiah chapter 8 and verses 11 to 14. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread and he will be a sanctuary. So God says to to Isaiah, don't fear human beings. Don't fear the designs and plans of mankind. Recognize God as holy. Set him apart above and beyond. He is the one you are to fear. And notice, he will be a sanctuary. A sanctuary is not a place to run from. A sanctuary is a place to come and find shelter. One more. Luke 12, 4-7. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus again says to his disciples, don't be afraid of human beings and what they can do to you. Rather, fear the one in whose power is your ultimate destiny. And don't be afraid of what life might bring to you because God knows all about you. And he highly values you. You see, the fear of God is not a depressing or paralyzing fear. The fear of God, as it is portrayed in Scripture, is a liberating fear, a motivating fear, an empowering fear. Let's consider some of the things we should recognize about the fear of God. We should recognize that the fear of God and trusting God are not mutually exclusive. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will, direct, he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Trusting God and fearing God are not incompatible. Indeed, they go hand in hand. We should recognize that our fear of God and God's love are not mutually exclusive. Psalm 103.17, But from everlasting to everlasting is the Lord's love with those who fear him. Psalm 147.11, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. To genuinely fear God is to genuinely experience his love for us. We should recognize that our fear of God is not incompatible with an assurance of forgiveness. Psalm 130 says, O Lord, 
If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. One author writes the following. Many have the tendency to minimize the fear of God for believers to just simply respecting him. Now, respect is definitely included in the concept of fearing God, but there is more to it than that. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. The fear of God is respecting him, submitting to his discipline, and worshiping him in awe. Another author writes, The fear of God is an awesome reverence for his presence. The fear of God is a dedicated respect for the things of God. It's respect for his people, for his word. It's a respect for what God is doing. And then this author challenges us with this question. Is it possible that we have become so familiar that we have lost respect? To fear God is to obey him at any cost. To fear God is to desire and decide that what God wants is what I want and that it's more important than what I might want. Another author asked the question, what kind of change would happen in our gatherings if the fear of God settled down on every one of us? The reality that brought the manifest glory of God was the fear of God that rested upon the people. The fear of God can and will remove and help you to overcome every other fear. And so I'd like to emphasize the fact that a proper understanding of the fear of God brings delight, not dread. Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay, let's summarize what fear does not mean. To fear God does not mean that we dread God. To fear God does not mean that we are driven away from God. To fear God does not mean that we don't trust God. To fear God does not mean that we don't experience God's forgiveness. To fear God does not mean that we don't experience God's love. So what then does fear mean? To fear God means that we are in awe of his majesty, his power, his sovereignty, his holiness. To fear God means that we marvel at his mercy, his love, his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness. To fear God is to mean that we are drawn to God. To fear God is to mean that we delight in God. To fear God is to mean that we desire to obey him and honor him in all that we think and say and do.
couple more quotations from authors. Throughout the scriptures, we are told to fear God. The context isn't that we should be emotionally distressed or see God as an impending danger to us, but that we should hold God in such high regard because of his holiness that it should establish a reverential awe in us of him. A deep sense of respect and esteem for God's excellence is what the Bible tries to deliver to us, not a feeling of dread or apprehension. And then one more author Believers are not to be scared of God. We are to have no reason to be scared of him. We have his promise that nothing can separate us from his love. We have his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. Indeed, as we read at Psalm 128.1, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in in obedience to him. Let us pray. Father, as one song says, we stand, we stand in awe of you. Help us to just have a vision like John did of how awesome you are, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. We marvel at the beauty and the majesty and the power of Niagara Falls. But in comparison, it is virtually nothing. Thank you, Father, for this reminder of what it means to fear you. To fear you in a way that will draw us to you. To fear you in a way that will cause us to revel and delight and your love, and your mercy, and your grace. And that will motivate us and empower us to live our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.